Welcome to this edition of Labor Vision. I'm Bob Delaney, Executive Director of the Institute for Labor Studies and Research. Labor Vision, a production of the Institute, focuses on topics of importance to working Rhode Islanders. We hope you enjoy this edition. a production of the Institute for Labor Studies and Research. I'm your host, Erica Hammond, and join with me today from the Rhode Island AFL-CIO, our President George Nee and Secretary-Treasurer Maureen Martin. Thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thanks for having us. Thank you very much. All right, we have a long segment today, so let's get started right away. Let's start with this year. So, some labor-positive legislation that passed this year in the State House. Do you want to start us off, George? Yeah, we actually had a, a, a very good year this year. Uh, there's been an issue that has been uh, problematic uh, for municipal employees and teachers for many years where uh, certain communities, uh, when contracts expired, mm -hmm. would uh, implement uh, their last offer uh, without having any recourse on the part of the union. So we've been uh, advocating for what we call a continuing contract of uh, the labor agreement when it expires. That legislation uh, passed this year mm -hmm. in both the House and the Senate and was signed by Governor Raimondo. Um, right now, some of the cities and towns uh, formed an organization to uh, have a court suit against it. They're essentially suing the state of Rhode Island mm -hmm. uh, on this issue, but we're very uh, hopeful that it will not go anywhere and we finally have some economic justice. This was the, essentially the precedent and the law of the land for about 25 years until certain communities, um, uh, specifically East Providence, tried to uh, uh, essentially say that it didn't work and they created a lot of chaos in that mm -hmm. situation. So this was a top priority and affects all of the uh, municipal workers and the teachers unions. That's great. So you know I can testify personally to um, you know that that's the way it was. Mm -hmm. That uh, I know there's a lot of um, angsting going on mm -hmm. about how this is a whole new thing. We've never done this. but. Um, and from my work as a state employee and as a representative of state employees in the 70s, somewhat in the 80s and all of the 90s, it was the way it was. It was right. that we worked under the old contract and it continued sometimes for a couple of years mm -hmm. and um, everything would just sort of stay still. Unfortunately, that meant that employees did not receive any raises. Maybe that's what mm -hmm. um, is different. Okay. But I think what also is important for people to understand is that uh, public sector workers do not have the right to strike. Mm -hmm. So in the right. private sector, uh, if a contract expires and people in the union or the union members are dissatisfied with it uh, and the company tries to implement the last offer, the union members can go on strike. In the public sector, you can't. Mm -hmm. So the leverage, in our opinion, was all with the employer community, in this case the municipality, and you know, to be fair, 90-95% of the time it was not an issue. It was just when someone decided that they had the upper hand and they wanted to implement that mm -hmm. upper hand that this protection is now needed. Absolutely. I, I saw this firsthand with, I, I live in Warwick, so yes. I saw it firsthand with the War, of Warwick teachers um, Absolutely. unable to operate with a <laughs> 
a budge, uh, continuing contract, I mean, right. before this passed. Right. Mm -hmm. so this is critical. All right, what about the Janus bill? Can you talk mm -hmm. to us a little bit about that? Well, unfortunately, the United States Supreme Court ruled a year and a half ago uh, in the Janus decision. Essentially what it was, or what it now says, is that there is a national right to work law for mm -hmm. all public sector employees. So what that means is that uh, in the past, if you did not want to join the union, which you had a right not to do, you had to pay what's called an agency fee or a fair share fee, and mm -hmm. you had to pay money to the union, not exactly equal to the dues, mm -hmm. but because you were covered under the collective bargaining agreement and got all the rights and benefits and advantages of that collective bargaining agreement, you had to pay for that representation. The Janus decisions under a free speech doctrine basically said, no, you don't have to. You can be what we refer to as a free rider. So mm -hmm. you can get all the advantages of the collective bargaining agreement and you don't have to pay dues. Right. So we were very concerned about this and we obviously we lost the Supreme Court decision. So legislation was introduced uh, and passed in Rhode Island this year and again signed by the governor which basically said that the union will have uh, an ability to meet with the people when they became new employees to explain what a union is all about. They'll be able to get updated information on a regular basis as to when the new employees come to work mm -hmm. uh, and communicate with them. And also uh, in situations where the, the union will be allowed to charge somebody legal fees Mm -hmm. if they wish to avail themselves of union representation and they haven't been paying. So essentially, if you have an arbitration case, someone was terminated, um, in the past, you would go to the union, the union would provide you with free legal representation. If you choose not to be a member now uh, and you want representation, you're going to have to pay for it. Right. So um, that's, that's an important uh, right that the unions now have with their employees. Try to think about it in terms of uh, uh, you live in a city or town. You don't like your mayor or you don't like what the city council's doing, but you say, hey, guess what? I'm gonna get all the advantages of living in the city and town. I'm gonna get the trash service. I'm gonna mm -hmm. go to the, have my kids go to the schools, I'll have fire, police, recreation, safety, all that, but I'm not gonna pay taxes. So you put the if burden on everybody else. Yeah. So yeah, you're really a free rider. Um, so far, it has not had much of an impact on the labor movement, but we were concerned about it and we want to make sure that we have as much opportunity to meet with people as, as warranted exactly. going forward. If for no other reason, we need to protect our members who are paying. Mm -hmm. So um, it just wouldn't be fair for them to have to pay. Right for people who have decided to just walk away or no, get the benefits wouldn't. anyway. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Now, a few months ago, on another note, a few months ago we had uh, Senator Frank Lombardi and, um, and Frank, I'm sorry, we had Senator Frank Lombardi and Paul Valletta from the Rhode Island uh, Firefighters Association yes. talking mm -hmm. about the firefighters overtime bill. Can right. you guys speak a little bit on this mm -hmm. bill that passed recently? Again, that was a very important piece of legislation. Uh, a number of cities and towns were creating some crazy shift schedules. Mm -hmm. And as a result mm -hmm. of that, people were, were required to work uh, in a number of hours such that if you average it out, they weren't even getting paid the minimum wage in some cases for those extra hours. So 
what the firefighters proposed is to say, if you work over 42 hours in a week, you have to be paid overtime. Mm -hmm. Now, in the private sector, and in a lot of other public sector jobs, there are provisions to say you should get overtime time and a half after 40 hours. Mm -hmm. So in this case, it's 42 hours, and that, we believe, will prevent a lot of the cities and towns from creating these kind of crazy shifts mm -hmm. that become the soup of the day and everybody just, you know, thinks that this is going to be a magic uh, solution. These people work hard, they put their lives on the line, they risk their lives every day, and it doesn't seem to be unfair that they should be provided an opportunity to get, you know, a just overtime pay. And you know the shifts that they um, had proposed and, and instituted in some cities and, and towns um, were wrong for so many other reasons, mm -hmm. people working for so many hours straight. Um, but this was sort of like tipped, right. tipped us over the edge. I think the firefighters who, as George says, uh, you know, work hard on our behalf mm -hmm. every day, all day, or as we like to call them on my Twitter feed, I call them everyday heroes. Absolutely. And they're there when, as we say, everybody else is running out of the building, they're running in the building, mm -hmm. and then, then they don't get decent wages. Mm -hmm. so. I think, too, one of the most important things is this issue, it's not it becomes an occupational health and safety issue, right? Sure, because absolutely. they work so many hours in their shift and then say someone calls out or isn't able to come in, at, which happens often in other mm -hmm. sectors mm -hmm. or other occupations, and they have to stay, yeah. right? You know, uh, sometimes the uh, purpose of providing overtime pay is so that people don't get overtime. A lot of times people don't want the overtime because it is a health and safety issue. If you're on duty right. for, you know, 40, 50 hours, you know, you get tired yeah. and you know your the stress level goes up. Yeah, yeah. And so many occupations have laws against working over so many right. hours. Right. And here we have these folks coming in who do kind of um, a life and death, mm -hmm. make life and death decisions. Right. I mean it, it, it makes sense being compensated for the work that they're doing. Sure. Right. Absolutely. If nothing else. All right. What about some there are many budget items that um, passed as well. Can you talk about some of those? Mm -hmm. Well, the two primary budget in last year's budget, last year. uh, a big effort on the labor movement, uh, is representation in community or in programs that represent the uh, provide services to the developmentally disabled community, right. and uh, provided by direct service providers. We formed a coalition of four different unions: uh, UNAP, United Nurses and Allied Professionals, the RIFT. Uh, the SEIU uh, and the machinists, mm -hmm. and they represent people in a lot of these uh, programs. The direct service providers are the people who are providing these services every single day. Uh, the state made some significant cuts in these programs years ago, and we're still trying to catch up. Mm -hmm. Last year, uh, I want to give a tremendous amount of credit to Senator uh, Lou De Palma. Uh, and Representative Evan Shanley, who put in legislation to have a significant increase mm -hmm. uh, in the pay rates for these people uh, through the state reimbursement system. Um, at the end of the day, ended up getting a 91 cent increase provided uh, effective, I think it was October. in October. October of this October. year. So mm -hmm. yeah. uh, that was a, uh, a, bi a big victory. And uh, Maureen, as someone who had done this work before, I think has mm -hmm. a real firsthand mm -hmm. knowledge of how important this work I is. I just recently talked to someone um, who was at 
who, who represents uh, some of these folks still, they said that was the hugest big bump in pay that Absolutely. they had seen in decades mm -hmm. in, in October, mm -hmm. and they were thrilled about it. But, you know, I, I did, I, I worked in the DD field for years and represented folks, and the work is, you know, physically and mentally and emotionally um, huge. Right. It's just like such a burden, and, and to think that some of these people get paid barely minimum wage mm -hmm. after years of working there. Right. So this was just, um, you know, a great, Mm -hmm. great bump for them and for people in general for the people who who live in these facilities mm -hmm. too because as we know if you have uh, good trained well-paid people you know providing services it's mm -hmm. just works better absolutely I I volunteered with the Trudeau Center for years so mm -hmm. so many of my good friends work as uh, direct service providers and the number of folks that turned out in favor of this legislation mm -hmm. because they understand how critical it is I saw yeah. so many of our Special Olympic athletes that get why this is so important because yeah, of the right. amazing work that these yeah. individuals do for them yeah. and how they've helped them throughout their lives the individuals who are doing this work, at least in my opinion and from what I've seen, is they're doing it because they love it. Yeah. Yeah. And they're That's sticking right. around because they love it. Yeah. They're not sticking around because it's putting the food on the table. Yeah. Oh. But this is a dramatic, a huge yeah. um, step in the right direction for Tell them. Tell me that right? story again about people who are working in these facilities and going mm -hmm. to school. Right, um, a few friend of, uh, friends of mine who work as direct service providers were going to school and working full, they had been working there for years, like through high school, through part of college, and it was just not enough money to be able to be paying for school, having to pay for school and being in debt from paying for school, but then having to drop out without a degree because so they couldn't a, make car payments, put food on the table, sure. right? Sure, it's, it's, it's crazy. So kudos to the governor this, for yeah. putting it in her budget and then Absolutely. for the General Assembly for upping exactly. the amount. Yeah. Exactly. So that was really a great boost for them. And another important line item was the tax increase, the film tax film increase. Film tax credit, right? which uh, provides uh, tremendous uh, opportunities for uh, particularly members of the Teamsters Union and the uh, Stagehands Union. and. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, has been a subject of some controversy, but some of the research has shown that this really is a very important benefit for Rhode Island. It brings in a lot more money than what we uh, put out in terms of the tax credits, and uh, this was expanded this year, uh, both in terms of its scope and also the money, so that's a, that was a real positive. Right. But we did have a big setback. You were going to ask me about that. About the film taxing? No, about the, the rest of the, the, leg the 2019 legislative the session. The unfinished business, the right? The unfinished business. Uh, so do you want to speak on some of that? Some of the labor yeah. positive legislation that just didn't It didn't, didn't make the through. cut. Right. Um, mm -hmm. Still upset about this. Absolutely. Furious, actually. Yeah. Um, our minimum wage last year uh, was 10.50. Our minimum wage in January of this year is going to be 10.50. The governor, to her credit, put in her budget an increase from 1050 to 1110. Mm -hmm. The look like that was running into trouble. The Senate, under Senator Ruggiero's leadership, passed almost almost unanimously, I believe, an, mm -hmm. an increase in the minimum wage to go from 1050 to 1150 on January 1st. Mm -hmm. No action by the House. They did not, they took it out of the governor's budget. Mm -hmm. 
So when the final budget was proposed, that was eliminated, and they took no action on the Senate bill. Right. So here we are mm -hmm. going into January 1st of 2020. Our minimum wage will be at 1050, and the Massachusetts minimum wage will be 1275. Yep. $2.25 difference for a 40-hour employee, $90 a week. Yeah. Doing the same work, mm -hmm. working for the same kind of companies, whether it's the fast food chains, the big retail stores, because mm -hmm. a lot of the people work in those kind of industries. Mm -hmm. It's a significant rate. $2.25, and we are still extremely upset with right. the leadership of the House for making that decision. It's a and, huge percentage. Or, and leaving right. people yeah. you know, in economic poverty. If you think about what $10.50 comes out to under $20,000 a year, yeah, which is really no way nothing. to yeah. even live as a single person, right. let alone raise a family. Right. Let alone have any money to yeah. be able to put back into yeah. the yeah. economy. And Connecticut, in the meantime, went up, uh, I believe, in, uh, in uh, September of this year to $11. So we're 50 cents behind Connecticut also. And so what does it look for, what does the future look like for this campaign? Well, for, for we're not year? giving up, and uh, part of our legislative agenda for next year will be an increase in the minimum wage. Uh, our proposal uh, for the immediate is, will be to uh, request an increase in, in, in the minimum wage from 1050 to 1125 on July 1st of okay. 2020, and then to go from 1125 to $12 on January 1st of 2021, and then we have a plan out to get to a $15 an hour minimum wage, but we'll still be, because of this year of doing nothing, we'll still be at least a year to two years behind Connecticut and Massachusetts in getting there. But um, it's a significant setback. It's a Certainly. setback. And the, we'll have workers migrating yeah. over the, uh, yeah. the, the state right. border for sure. Sure. Right. For, nine, right. for $90 well, a week yep. when you're a low-income worker, that's, that's, that's a, real money. That is, mm -hmm. in some at least two grocery trips. Sure. Yeah. In some cases, so depending 10 on the household of your wage. size. Yeah. yeah. Right. Wow. So that's that's on the agenda for 2020. We have a very ambitious agenda for 2020, as we always right. do. And what's what's the next another item um, for the future? So I know that there's work being done around the temporary caregivers insurance. Yeah, we're going to uh, the temporary caregivers insurance program, which is under the TDI program, was established I think four or five years ago. It. Uh, it provides uh, care, uh, people pay into this program. It's, again, the employees pay into this. And so if there's a situation where there's an illness in your family or mm -hmm. a child is born uh, or other medical emergencies, you can call, under, under this program, you can take up to four weeks off. Mm -hmm. Our proposal is to extend it from four weeks to six weeks this year and then from six weeks to eight weeks the following year. Sometimes it's called parental leave, mm -hmm. but in Rhode Island, this program has existed uh, under the TDI, uh, well, this program has existed for four or five years, but the TDI program's been around for a long time. Mm -hmm. It's one of the best programs around and provides some real economic security for oh, people. Absolutely. So that's a, sure. that's a big fight. I think it's important for people to know this is not like free money for people. They've, right. they've contributed. Yeah, yeah. it's their they, they, their own money that you they're putting in. Right. right. You, right. you start paying into it the minute you start working. Yeah. Correct. Right. They should call it maybe pay, paid for parental yeah. leave. It's yeah. <laughs> your own yeah. funds that you've mm -hmm. begun. All right. And how about the, I know that there's work being done around adding, making sure domestic workers are included in the minimum wage because from 
now from the beginning of time they've been excluded, which yeah. does not make any sense sure, to me. So but do you want to talk about some of the work yeah, that's going to be done well, this we're year? We're just sort of wondering why it is they're exempt. These are folks who um, who come into people's homes, sometimes, oftentimes, live at people's homes mm -hmm. and take care of either cooking or cleaning or child childcare, and um, yet they don't even receive minimum wage. So they receive no wage, mm -hmm. actually. Mm -hmm. I mean, not no wage, but an undetermined wage, so. In some cases, as yeah. we've found, it may be no wage. Yes, right? it yeah. might be no <laughs> wage. Well, uh, Massachusetts recently, uh, Massachusetts several years ago passed what's called the Massachusetts Domestic yes. Bill of Rights. Mm -hmm. And the Attorney General in Massachusetts uh, just uh, took legal action against three families in Saugus, mm -hmm. Massachusetts, $495,000 in back wages. People were essentially wow. being treated like indentured servitude, mm -hmm. uh, servants. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And they were, you know, $495,000 in back wages. So because they have the provision that says uh, overtime pay and minimum wage, they were able to go in and say, wait a minute, you, you, can't, you can't have people working 40 and 50 hours a week and paying them nothing. So, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. uh, if people need these employees to do work for them, that's great, but they should pay them right. a fair wage and treat them justly. Yeah. I mean, so. it doesn't make sense that they're exempt. We're, get, we're asking the employer to do the right thing, and we don't ask others to do that in any situation. We, don't, right. we have rules and regulations exactly. and laws mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. we don't just expect well, people to do the right remember, they were initially excluded, domestic workers were initially excluded from the Fair Labor Standards Act back in 1935 when they passed the New Deal mm -hmm. because of racism because most Absolutely. domestic workers were black at that time. That's it's so exactly what it is. That was the deal that they had to do to get the fair, uh, under the Roosevelt mm -hmm. administration. So there's a long history of this based on this mm -hmm. kind of discrimination. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's long overdue, and I'm, I'm looking forward to our coming segments when we can, ha we can yeah. have a longer conversation around sure. this too. Sure, we could talk about up. what other kinds of wage violations are going on. All right. And next is the, um, you're gonna continue working on the DSP, the direct service providers legislation, right? Yes. What does that yeah. look like? You'll just I don't know the exact number, but we've mm -hmm. been, every year we've been advocating, we're not, we're not done yet. No. That there, until we get some real economic justice uh, in this area. Um, for the individuals you know, I mean, caring My for judgment, these people should be making $20, $25 an hour, sure. never mind this yeah. 15. I mean, mm -hmm. for what they do, um, and, and we're making up for lost ground as it is anyway. So that's right. As George mentioned, they had um, had have taken out a lot of money from the DD budget mm -hmm. years ago, and we've been fighting it since. So we're not nearly caught up. Right. Right. So it's going to be a long road. I mean, individuals caring for our most vulnerable populations. Absolutely. It's, they deserve exactly. This. They deserve us to fight for them. Right. Fight with them. Um, and I know that there's another campaign coming up called the Raise the Bar campaign that SEIU is working on. I, I've been a little bit involved, um, at least in my community, because this, I definitely hold this campaign very dear to my heart, um, and the safe staffing. So do you guys want to talk a little bit about that as well? Well, here's where we're, we're kind of going back to the future. Rhode mm -hmm. Island used to have ratios, staffing mm -hmm. ratios in the nursing home industry. Oh where depending on the severity of the patients, um, you had to have so many employees for so many patients. And it was written in law and it was written in regulation. Over a period of time, again into this whole world of we don't, let's let 
the companies do whatever they want and let's have no regulation, those things were relaxed and are right now non-existent. We're the only state in New England that doesn't have some sort of a ratio, either through law or regulation. So the SEIU and a group of community partners uh, started this campaign to raise the bar to reinstate uh, through regulation or statute some sort of a ratio mm -hmm. where you know, again, it's, it's for the benefit of the patients and the benefit of the employees. Right. I started my organizing career back in the early, early 70s, mm -hmm. organizing nursing homes. Oh. And that was an issue, a big issue then. We actually had language in our contracts that said when somebody was out, the workers who took up that person's patients took that patient, the workers who were out salary and split it among themselves. So if you're supposed to have four people on that ward mm -hmm. or on that uh, mm -hmm. wing and three showed up, you took that fourth person's pay and you gave it to the other mm -hmm. workers. So you've got to have some yeah. penalty in there because otherwise the employer doesn't care that much when somebody ta is taking the time off. Right. And it's harder to recruit people if it's always short staffing. Yep. So you've got to have some protection for both the worker and for the patients mm -hmm. and the patient's family. So this will be a this will be a great campaign. Yeah, it will be. And I think SEIU understands fully that as m much as this has to do with their members, it was the members who are concerned about the patient safety right. with not having enough people there to care for it. And the community forum, the community discussion that I went to around this campaign, it was so clear that the the staff know that they're at risk as well, and the sure. members yeah. know that this yeah. is for the safety of the, not only mm -hmm. uh, the patients but themselves. Right? Um, mm -hmm. I, one of the a woman was talking to us about um, the em their employers, so the nursing home, the nursing facilities. They know that it's important to have a number, a, mm -hmm. a large number of staff on at a certain time because when. Um, the they come in to see and make sure they have the right number of staff. Oh yeah, sure. That's yeah. when they overstaff. So that's yeah. when they have not overstaff. They put the correct number the, the of correct staff, staff there. Right. So they know yeah. what the right yeah. thing is to do. Right. Oh sure, um, sure. Okay. Go. I was just going to say, yeah. and anyone who has uh, dealt with anybody in a nursing home, as mm -hmm. I did with my mother, and recently with a friend who had to be in a real rehabilitation center, mm -hmm. can see the impact of the staffing Absolutely. ratio. It's right. incredible. Yeah. It is. Yeah, day to day. All right, now before we wrap up, mm -hmm. I, I know an op-ed went out around um, employers who are have a certain number of employees who are on uh, Medicaid, Medicaid right. rather than their health insurance. Do you want right. to talk a little bit yeah. about this piece? Yeah, we, we were involved in that campaign uh, a little bit last year. The governor put, uh, uh, put a proposal in her budget, which unfortunately did not pass, which would have created a fine for per employee that's on Medicaid when the mm -hmm. employer when they should be on the employer's health insurance program, so we took that issue up. We did an op-ed with uh, I did an op-ed with uh, Pat Quinn and Nancy Idealuca from the uh, uh, Unite Here. Mm -hmm. We're getting some reaction to it already, which is good. And mm -hmm. essentially, what we want to do is see that these employers meet their responsibilities and make sure that people that are working for them are on their health insurance plan. Mm -hmm. Uh, and not on Medicaid, which is costing the state a lot of money. So mm -hmm. there's some ideas being uh, uh, formulated right now, so we'll be working on that. And Absolutely. I guess in closing, I think it's always important, we always think it's important to remind people that the labor movement is the people's lobby. Yep. 
you know, we, are, we lobby on issues that are important for all working people, not just union members, and whether it's the minimum wage or an issue like this, the Medicaid, mm -hmm. uh, the support for the direct uh, service personnel. In that situation, all of the other workers, whether they were union or non-union, also benefited and their families benefited. Absolutely. So, you know, sometimes we lose sight of the fact that if there isn't a strong labor movement, a lot right. of these uh, right. rules, regulations, standards right. won't exist for any worker. So absolutely, the people's lobby is on the job. Well, thank All workers count. <laughs> absolutely. Mm -hmm. Thank you guys both so much for joining us. I know you're both very busy, um, but I look forward to hearing more about Never a lot of Never too busy for labor vision. Good. Oh, thank <laughs> I'm you, glad Erica. to hear. All right. Uh, in wrapping up, Thank you everyone for watching. Those of you who are just tuning in, make sure to check out this episode of Labor Vision on our YouTube channel. It's, YouTube, it's Labor Vision TV One. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. You're watching Labor Vision. We hope to see you back here next week. Have a great night. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Labor Vision. We appreciate your input and encourage your comments. Labor Vision can be seen on this channel three times each week. Tuesday at 7 p.m., Thursday at 8 p.m., and Saturday at 5 p.m.